Welcome to the Battery Technology Podcast, sponsored by Munters, experts in climate control systems for safe, high-quality battery cell production and R&D, delivering stable, low dew point conditions whilst minimising energy use. Episode 12, Understanding Battery Recycling. One subject we hear an increasing amount about is the subject of end-of-life recycling for batteries and it's a critical issue in fact for an industry that is built on the foundations of transforming our response to global warming the requirements for effective end-of-life strategies seems a prerequisite so I thought it would be a good idea to take some time to talk this through and in this episode I'm joined by Tom Wadsworth who's the commercial director of Lifecycle to talk through the processes, the challenges, and the developments within the battery recycling industry. Well, I am extremely pleased to be able to welcome to the Battery Technology Podcast, Tom Wadsworth, who's the Commercial Director of Europe for Lifecycle. So welcome to the podcast, Tom. It's uh, very good to see you. Thanks, Ken. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to uh, dig into some of these conversations that we're going to have today. So Lifecycle, if I understand it, is a global player in the recovery of critical materials from all types of lithium-ion batteries. I mean, firstly, it might be a good idea to get to know a little bit more about yourself, a little bit more about Lifecycle, and a little bit more about how Lifecycle sure. have developed over the last few years. Yeah, sure. Thanks for the intro there. So, so Lifecycle, we were founded in 2016, and mainly with the intent to address this glaring challenge that we have, and that's you know, as part of this energy transition, what are we going to do with all of these EV batteries as they come end of life? We know at Lifecycle, and that's essentially why we were founded with the two uh, co-founders. They knew that there's a, a critical need to provide a safe and sustainable recycling solution for these end of life batteries and to be able to recycle them, to recover the material and put it back into the supply chain. So to create a full circular economy. Yeah. And that's what we do. So we're a, as you mentioned, we're a battery recycler, we're a critical material recovery company, and we provide closed loop solutions. So we, we work with the EV OEM, so the automotive manufacturers, we work with the gigafactories, we have very close relationships with them, just to understand their supply chain, and be able to partner with them as they scale and transition to this uh, new uh, electric revolution that we're part of. Is it purely EV companies you're working with, or is it much broader than that? Just so I can get a sense of the the yeah, the sure. We're well, chemistry. We're focused on lithium-ion batteries, but within the lithium-ion battery family, we're chemistry agnostic. So we'll take all forms of lithium-ion battery, and we'll take, for example, uh, portable batteries, so LCO batteries or NMC, um, and energy storage. We work with energy storage manufacturers and OEMs portables and then gigafactories as well um we'll probably dig into a little bit deeper into waste feed but in terms of uh, gigafactories coming online and we work with those as well one of the things i noticed by the way uh, when i was doing some research on this on your website is this idea of the hub and spoke organizational design that you have and i'm interested in how that works just so i understand if you like the fundamentals of your business and in, in terms of the way it's set up yeah yeah so we have as you mentioned a spoken hub concept and the two industry terms probably we should start addressing is pre-processing and post-processing these are two industry terms in the recycling space and pre-processing is you're converting the battery material 
into the black mass and then the byproducts as well, so which is typically copper and aluminum foils and, and plastics as well. With that, you get your black mass, and that's another industry term that's well used in the industry. And this essentially is all the concentrated, you know, the, the active cathode and, and anode material from the battery. And that's what our spoke is. Our spoke is the shredding facility. After the pre-processing, it then goes to our hub, and our hub is the post-processing, and this is the refining part. This is where you you refine you know, the processes down to the advanced materials. So you're getting down to the, the metal salts, so lithium carbonate, lithium hydroxide, and then the sulfates as well, so nickel and cobalt. You're getting these down to battery-grade material, and you're providing that back into the supply chain. Gotcha. So just for, for my benefit here, we're talking about two separate processes. One which is the destruction, essentially, of the battery, bringing to the state of black mass, if you like. And then the second process, post-production, is taking that black mass and actually subsequently refining it into the individual elements that you're, you're seeking to recover. Exactly. And this goes with the narrative of trying to localize the supply chain, right? You've got your spokes, which we can deploy pretty quickly um, in markets where we, we have contracts or relationships with OEMs, but also in markets which have a heavily concentrated volume of, of end-of-life batteries as well. So the spokes that we build, they're modular in design, and we can deploy, we can build them off-site and then deploy them pretty quickly. And we build these around, we're growing our network in North America and in Europe. And then we have the hub, which is more centralized, but our current plan is to have one in each continent to be able to bring that black mass back into the to a refining process and asset in each continent to then localize the battery grade material and provide that back in the supply chain. Gotcha. So the spokes are pre-processing and the hubs is the post-processing. Yeah, you got it. You got it. Yeah, that's right. Okay, brilliant. That's really interesting to get that kind of organization design part of it because that's quite an important part of this. In terms of the feedstock, what are the main sources you've got of, of the feedstock? Just talk us through that feedstock and whether there's anything specific about the different elements of the feedstock sure. that you need to be cognizant of as you start that pre-processing phase. So there's there's typically four main waste streams um, that we as a recycler target. The first is uh, portable batteries, so laptop batteries, smartphones, consumer electronics. You then have energy storage, as I mentioned before, uh, batteries and end of life EV batteries, and then manufacturing scrap as well. So those are the four main um, feed types. And then within that, you've got your portable batteries, but you've got different chemistries. So you might have um, uh, an LCO battery. This is mainly a, a high cobalt cathode chemistry used for mm -hmm. smartphones and laptops. You then have NMC batteries. This is mainly used in EVs, but also in um, household appliances. And then LFP as well, um, which is a growing market in Europe. It's a, it's a dominant uh, producer in China, but certainly it's growing in Europe. So these are the different chemistries we have. And then within that, we then focus on those chemistries and be able to adapt our technologies to take all of this waste feed. So we can take any, any form factors. So we'll take any from powder to pack. And then we'll take all chemistry as well, whether it's LCO, NMC, or LFP. I'm really interested in the process because yeah. obviously we've got two individual processes going on here. Let's deal with the first one and then we'll move to the post-production side. But before we start that, um, 
Do you have any sense of the potential, the recoverable potential of batteries before you start the recovery process? Can you deduce whether actually it's going to be worth recycling yeah. this yeah. or it isn't going to be worth recycling this? How, does, how do you form a judgment on that before even the process starts? So the short answer is yes. Yes, we do. We do a lot of work with the um, cell producers or the uh, um, EV automotives to understand what chemistry composition they've got. So for us at Lifecycle, we recover up to 95% of the uh, critical material in the battery, and that's focused on the lithium, the nickel, and the cobalt mainly. Um, so we, as a company, have a have a high recovery rate, and we work with these cell producers to understand what their composition is. So we talked about LCO, NMC, and LFP, right? Even within that, you've got your NMC, you have your NMC 811, 532, or whatever your cell material ratio is, it, it's broken down. We'll understand this. We work with the cell producers and the EV manufacturers to understand their composition, and we can then work out how much we will be able to recover. We can understand the intrinsic value first, and then we yeah. can understand our recovery rates to get down to that to the metals and the salts and then provide that back. And so that's how we set up our business model. Great. I understand that. So so let's start pre-production, if you like. Um, talk us through the process, because one of the things I guess is is an issue here is you know, actually how to handle these things safely mm. and without mm. exposing the environment to all the things we don't want it to expose it to. So how you achieve high, high standards of safety and also high, high standards of uh, ecological responsibility. Yeah, maybe I can start with... Um, just highlighting a couple of technologies that are uh, around in the industry right now for recycling, and then I'll Please. tailor it towards towards life cycle. So there's typically three main types in the industry. Now you have your pyrometallurgical, which, as the name suggests, you're, you're burning something at, you know, it's a high heat intensive treatment. Here, what you're doing, you're, you're roasting the batteries, right, at a 500 degrees C, 600 degrees C, and you're burning off that electrolyte, you're burning off the PVDF, the binder, which binds mm -hmm. all that that cathode active material together um this technology has been around for a while um and it's it it, it is used typically in the e-waste uh, material industry but there are some trade-offs with it um you are recovering the nickel and the cobalt and the copper but there's limited recovery on the lithium but as this market's been evolving you see volumes of lithium ion batteries increasing and the focus on that value of recovering those materials. So that's why there's other technologies now, potentially more advanced technologies are able to have higher recovery rates. The second one is the, is a, a vacuum inert or uh, shredding pre-processing. And essentially what you're doing here is creating that atmosphere, removing the oxygen, replacing it with a gas, and then shredding it, shredding the batteries there. Typically you'd use something like nitrogen, but there are limitations to that as well because you're, you're batch producing. And so you'll have limited uh, capabilities on the on the shredding equipment, and there's also limited efficiencies as well on, on using that reuse of the gas as well. And then you have your hydrometallurgical recycling as well, and this is probably typically seen as the best solution in terms of its ESG credentials, right. in terms of it if it creating a true circular economy as well, because you are recovering the lithium as well. It does have typically higher recovery rates, and with a hydro flow sheet, it can be deployed. Uh, it can be scaled down as well. So it can, if you think of the market, how it's evolving, you can deploy these in you know developing countries as well. So those are the main three types of recycling, right? You have your your pyrometallurgical, 
your inert shredding and your hydrometallurgical as well. And then for us at Lifecycle at spoke level, so what we're trying to do is mechanically shred these batteries. We're trying to get them in our shredders as quickly and as safely as possible. What we do is quite unique. It's a submerged shredding. Significant advantages here because from a safety point of view, you know, if there's any sort of thermal runaway or heat accumulation that's dissipated into the solution. With that as well, we don't have to discharge the batteries and we don't have to disassemble. We have the flexibility to do it, but we don't have to do that. And they all go into our shredder. And with the shredding, the shredding is happening under this solution. We're removing the plastics and the plastics will float to the top. These then go to our second circuit, which is our plastics wash circuit. You know, the plastics are skimmed off. It goes through our plastic um, washing tank. And here we're trying to liberate any of that black mass or foils away from the plastics and put those back in the uh, back in the, the shredding um, process. Is that done gravitationally almost in the sense of black mass is going to be heavier than plastic? Exactly. And yeah. It's, it's, it's exactly. going to fall to the bottom of the solution. Yeah, you're exactly yeah. right, Ken. It's all size reduction and it's under a solution. So it's a safe way of doing this. So we'll yeah. start with that plastics where it floats to the top. We then have what's left, which is the black mass and the foils. It then goes through our foils wash circuit. And here that material is pumped through. Um, it's, there's a buffer solution in there as well. And we're breaking away the foils. And then that's separated. We then get to our fourth circuit, which is the black mass. And that's where, you know, that's the, the key focus here on the pre-processing side. And with this black mass, we then, if you think, we have this rich um, slurry. And what we're trying to do is remove some of the moisture. And it goes through our filter press. And this is a bit like, I like to explain this as, as making coffee. If you think of making coffee, you put your coffee powder in the filter, the hot water goes through into the jug, you have your jug, you pour your coffee. What's left, you throw away. It's kind of mm -hmm. the reverse for us, right? We keep what's left in that filter, and that's our mm -hmm. black mass. So that mm -hmm. is, you know, it's a filter cake. It's it's through our filtration system, and then it goes into the big bags, and then that's when we have the black mass. And as we said, the black mass, that's what, that's everything left, right? So that contains, it's the, the, the coated electrode. So you've got your your graphite from the anode. You've got your nickel, cobalt, lithium, manganese from the, from the cathode side as well. So that's the yeah. pre-processing part. So you're left now with this hugely important black mass because that's, that's where all the, the critical elements are to be found and to be recycled from. And then that moves in your system to the hub, presumably, where there's a centralized process for actually extracting these critical materials from that black mass. Yeah, correct. That's right. So, so with black mass, if you think what it is and what it contains, and just uh, maybe take a, a point here of, of the market itself, black mass in China has a long history. Right, You can go on websites, you can look at pricing of black mass. There's different formats of the black mass. You can price it based on if it's a nickel heavy black mass or if it's a LCO dominate black mass or if it's even if it's LFP black mass with specific casing or shells of the battery. So in China, it's quite well established. In Europe, it's still a relatively new concept. And six months ago, we didn't really have a, a pricing index. Now that's evolving now. And that tells you the state of the market. We are getting um, your price report agencies now bringing out European black mass pricing. And that really helps us as we work with customers and suppliers as well. We can align on that pricing based on the, the content of the black mass as well. So us as a, as a recycler, we have the black mass. 
we have the option to sell it as needed. But what we try and do is convert that black mass to intermediate or refined end products. So that's your your metal salts or your sulfates as well. So black mass has become a commodity almost yeah, in the exactly. sense of it's a tradable commodity. Which I guess it will be different in different parts of the world. But within Europe, that's starting to emerge as, as black mass being this tradable commodity, which it, is your midpoint in your process. Yeah, exactly. But the challenge here, Ken, is that there's no one black mass is the same. So we're not talking about, you know, if you think of batteries, you can define it, you can put together an SDS, and you can define it based on its composition. With black mass, we talked about the different feed types coming in, right? You've got your portable batteries, your EVs, your ESS, and your manufacturing scrap. They're going to have different compositions here. So it's going to be very hard to standardize black mass. But what you can do is pay off the content of the black mass. So you can estimate and measure the content of lithium in there in nickel and cobalt, and you pay off that percentage. To what degree, by the way, does the economics of processing black mass affected by commodity prices of the elements themselves, which clearly fluctuate, you know, and will go up and down uh, based on demand and supply. So, I mean, is that a big part of the economics of whether we sell this black mass or whether we process this black mass? Or Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that dictates for us whether we buy or we sell because we are building these assets to 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 bring feed in. But it does have a huge impact, this pricing. If you look at lithium carbonate, for example, lithium carbonate last year, it topped out around $80,000 a ton. Now, if you sit it, it's around $25,000 a ton. So these are huge swings. Um, and that's the challenge of this, right? You're, you're trying to build a business model in a very new and nascent industry. And that's what that's why we work so closely with these automotive OEMs and gigafactories as well to explain to them you know, the value of this material and how we price it and how do they get back the value that they're they're providing to us. Thanks for listening to the Battery Technology Podcast. We really appreciate you taking time to do that. And we have many more episodes planned all the way through 2024 and beyond. So I very much hope you will continue on that journey. And if you get a chance to, please subscribe or leave a comment wherever you download the podcast. It really will help other people discover the Battery Technology Podcast. And I'm pleased to say our listenership is growing quickly. If you would like any more information about how to contact us here, all our contact details are available, together with the details of sponsors and contributors, in the show notes which are attached to this episode. So thanks again. And let's carry on with that conversation. Talk us through this secondary process yeah. then, the, taking the black mass as a, as a feedstock, if you like, and then and bring, bringing out the, these precious minerals from it. So we, it's a full hydrometallurgical flow sheet um, for us for Lifecycle with our um, hubs. It's a four-step process. So we have leaching first. It's basically putting the material in a, a reaction tanks. We're adding acids in there if it's sulfuric acid. The first thing that's removed is uh, graphite. Um, this can typically be used for other applications as well. After the leaching part, you then go to your precipitation. And what you're trying to do here is remove the impurities. So um, whether it's aluminium or iron. With this, it creates gypsum. And gypsum, again, can be reused for in the in the construction industry mainly yeah. and then after that you have your your next two circuits right you've got your uh, solvent extraction 
here you're separating the nickel, uh, the cobalt, and the copper into separate um, product streams. And then the last circuit is your lithium recovery. Again, you're, you're, you get down to the metals themselves, whether it's a, a lithium carbonate or a lithium hydroxide, we, we get down to uh, lithium carbonate. We work with EV OEMs, work with their cell producer, and then further upstream as well. So their PCAM or CAM level will work with them to blend in with that, with the primary material. So you end, you end up at compound level uh, rather mm. than elemental level, but, but at that point you're able to reintroduce it as feedstock into, in, into the industry. Exactly. And that's really the, the need at the moment. If you look at regulations, for example, they're dictating that you need recycled content in batteries. And yeah. the EU direct the EU regulation, for example, is is telling us this. So that's where the cell producers will need to have secondary material, so this recycled content, to blend with the primary material as they're producing these cells. Fascinating. Questions that kind of spring to mind here is uh we mentioned at the start about the different, the four varieties, I think, of feedstock that you you mm-hmm. essentially start with. Is that stable in the sense of do the percentages, if you like, of intake of those different feedstocks pretty much stay the same and will always stay the same? Or or is that always evolving and changing and moving in, in favour yeah. of one and against another? For us, for life cycle, out of those four, certainly last year in 2022, most of our feed was on the EV OEMs, but most of that was either recalls or, or damaged batteries. But as an industry, I think we're all aligned knowing that the the dominant feed will be manufacturing scrap. And that's because there's, you know, if you look at Europe, for example, there's 50 gigafactories that have been announced. Around 25 are under construction right now. A lot of those are startups and a lot of them will have limited experience perhaps in in lithium-ion cell production it's quite a hard technique so with that that's the dirty secret here there's going to be a lot of production scrap um, available so for us as a company we try and position ourselves well to take this scrap to take the material to to recover the, the the critical materials and provide that back into the supply chain as well so certainly from our data showing in by 2025, most of the about 80% of the recycled material will come from manufacturing scrap. Nice. This will trend out, and I think towards the end of the decade, there'll be an inflection point where it will switch to end-of-life EV batteries as well, and that will become the the dominant feed there. But certainly to right. start with, is manufacturing scrap. You have your portable and ESS, and then uh, EV um, end of life batteries will be the, uh, the the dominant feed later. So, what are the things that kind of keep you awake at night in terms of the challenges? In terms of you, know, what are the things that make actually what you're trying to achieve really difficult? And if if you had a magic wand and you could wave it and solve it, would be most beneficial yeah. to get past. What keeps me awake at night? I would say very clearly, my kids keep me awake at night. But there's probably <laughs> something with that, Ken, because we, you know, I, I've got two young kids. We sit at dinner table every night and talk about our days. And they, you know, I ask them questions about school and they ask me about mine. And it's really fascinating hearing them talking about what their mummy and daddies do um, to their friends. Their mummy, they, they, they say that their mummy helps people and she works for the NHS and their daddy saves the planet one battery at a time is what they say. But this is really, it's fascinating, right? Because it just, it's a reminder that we have a responsibility here as an industry um to get this right we we are really trying to build 
a safe and sustainable recycling outlet. And that's what I'm passionate about. That's what that's what keeps me awake at night is making sure that we have this in place. We, I, I think about my kids and I think what this, it's just a great reminder what they are saying here. And so for me, the decisions that we're making, all these collaborations, all these business models that we're building that we create now will really have an impact, not just on our generation. It'll be far greater what our generation will see. It'll be what our kids and, and our other kids see. So I think that's what potentially keeps me awake at night that I know that's quite, abstract Ken, but maybe if you want me to focus on trends as well um yeah I'd, I'd, I'd like to but but it's important you say that because you know we are we're all living through a very embryonic development yeah. of this industry yeah. which you know presumably is going to be an industry that's going to last centuries so it is very important as you say that that we do this correctly you you always hear very close to the industry and it's it's good to get a sense from you in terms of where you think the industry is moving to yeah yeah I think with the the battery recycling industry and certainly the lithium iron battery supply chain, it's still at its inventory stage, right? You you compare it to copper and iron industries, they've been going for decades. They're very robust. Their pricing fluctuation is is it's less volatile. Whereas the lithium iron market, you know, these these structures that we see, it's we're quite exposed. Uh, we talked about lithium uh, carbonate pricing earlier. You know, it's dominated by China. Um, yep. typically with a trading market. So we really have to be disciplined on our pricing structures here. But with that, you know, this market is 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 being played out live, isn't it, in front of our very eyes here. And so there's so many different things that we have to consider. Certainly on the recycling side, we have um, the form factors. So we talk about powder to pack. We take anything from powder to packs so and manufacturing scrap right up until packs. But what's after that? What's after cell to pack? You know, we know this cell to chassis. BYD, CATL, for example, um, mm. they they pioneered this. So we need to make sure we are in a position where we can adapt well to these technologies, whether it comes to form factors, to cell to cell to chassis, or also chemistries. We we touched on LFP, for example. It's the dominant um, cell uh, chemistry in China. It will mm. come in Europe. So we have to make sure there's no no nickel, there's no cobalt in LFP. So we have to make sure we adapt well for that. Um, we know. Um, sodium iron or, or solid state batteries all these are coming as well but then yeah. we also have to consider regulatory as well and these 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 differences per region if you think of you know even just europe versus north america europe has this you know we built this regulatory framework which is focused on keeping the material in in europe to be reprocessed here and provide back in the supply chain we do this by providing targets so recycled content targets um, recycle and efficiency targets, um, recovery rates, all of the collection rates, all of this. Whereas North America is slightly different. It's a it's a, a capitalist driven market. They have their IRA or Inflation Reduction Act, mm -hmm. and this legislation is focused really on supplying or localizing the supply chain in the form of credits or like production tax credits or investment tax credits. So there's regional differences here, and it's and it's going to be really interesting to see how we as an industry react to that and also i haven't even mentioned asia you know i'm sure every guest that you've had there's always a conversation about where do asia sit in the supply chain certainly china that the years ahead of us in terms of building out uh, an ecosystem so for us as an industry as a as a sector of this industry is recycling we just have to make sure we adapt to all of these 
variables that will come, whether it's the form factor, whether it's the technology, whether it's regulatory, we just position ourselves well. And I think that's why we work so closely with these automotives and gigafactories as well on their strategy and making sure, you know, as my kid said, saving the planet one battery at a time. And, and, and in order for us to do that, we need collaboration. And collaboration for me is the key word here right across the supply chain when it comes to not just the recycling side, you know, we have this cradle to grave concept. It's more of a cradle to cradle mentality of making sure we're at the start and the end and we link all of that supply chain together. So it's the gigafactories, it's the cam producers, the PCAM, you know, the refining, the mining, and then your cell produces your, your battery pack producers, your assemblers, and the EV automakers as well, right up into the recycling. So for me, it's collaboration here, Ken. Fantastic place to bring that conversation to a conclusion, I think, Tom. That's been a whistle-stop but fascinating journey mm. through recycling. It's something I've been wanting to feature on the podcast for a while now, and I'm really pleased that we were able to have this conversation because I think a lot of people in the industry who are sitting right in the middle of the industry will mm. benefit from having heard your thoughts on that. And uh, it's uh, it's been a fascinating conversation. So I really appreciate your time on that, Tom. Thanks, you can. Yeah, I really appreciate uh, the discussions. I, I look forward to more with other people. I think these are great. The collaboration is the key here, and I, I really enjoyed it. So thank you, Ken. Thanks, Tom. Can I ask you one? Yeah, go for Ken, let me ask you a quick question. I know I feel like I've listened to your podcast, and I see all the guests. And you have got some great you know, industry experts in the field, and you're, you're sat with them, talking to them about industry insights and, and trends. I feel like you sit at in a privileged position here, Ken, that you are getting this insight and wisdom from all these people. I'd like to maybe throw the question back at you in terms of this energy transition that we're part of. What do you see as the challenges in this lithium-ion battery supply chain that we're building up? It's it's a great question. I never often get asked it, but it's I'm very pleased to to think about that. Of course, I'm I'm a relative newcomer to this. I should I should preface my answer by saying that. And also, you know, I'm a I'm a scientist, but I'm not a I'm not a battery scientist, but I'm learning all the time. And you say talking to people who uh, who have got uh, uh, are in this market every day, and a, and a wide variety of them, it's been a very interesting journey for me. I, I think there are a number of things, and I say it really as a layman. Still think there's a still think there's a a resistance out there in the general public in terms of whether uh, EVs are really going to deliver what we want EVs to deliver. I think generally most people get the the argument that it's necessary that actually this technology is is going to be required if we're going to do anything anything at all uh, about our responsibilities to the planet um, but i think there is some serious concern in the marketplace about whether evs are going to be able to deliver that with the kind of confidence that petrol can effectively mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and with the convenience of that and so, so I think from a challenge perspective for this particular industry, I still think there's a huge job to be done on that. The reason I don't think is being mm. delivered at the moment. I think there's lots and lots of mixed messages about it. And uh, I think the industry could do a better job on that. I think one of the things that dazzles me, to be honest, is when mm. I talk to the scientists involved on the inside of this market and this industry, there are some extraordinarily smart people in this industry doing some remarkable things. To your first point there, you know, we're moving away from ICE vehicles, from internal combustion engines. We're moving away from burning fossil fuels. 
this is amazing. But for us to be successful, and this is what I talk to my kids about, for us to, if we're going to take material out from the earth, then we need to set up a system to be able to return that material because we're just borrowing it, return that material to the earth or upcycle it or recycle it. And that's where recycling sits, right? We sit at, we're trying to reduce the need for bringing additional material out from the earth. We're reducing the pressures on, you know, primary mining and refining. And yeah, that's where recycling sits. So that's really the heartbeat of this circular economy. And I, I really appreciate your comments because I think yeah, what you say is spot on, on on just building that education on the benefits of this energy transition with lithium-ion batteries and also the recycling piece as well. The other thing, by the way, just occurred to me as you were talking there, of course, is you know there are some there are some parts of the industry which yeah you know, which have got some dark secrets, and I'm I'm, I'm mm-hmm. thinking about you know cobalt, yep, cobalt DRC. mining yep. particularly here, and uh, of course the work you're doing makes the need for that less to to anybody. Uh, that's that's got to be a good thing. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's what recycling does. I mean, as you said, cobalt over 80% of it is is mined in Democratic Republic of Congo. There's there's social issues there. There's ethical issues there um, that are being addressed right now. Um, but we as recyclers, we, we're able to provide, if you think what we're doing, we're producing battery-grade material, we're able to provide a localized outlet for the manufacturers. So they are reducing their carbon footprint as well. We're able to provide those critical materials for the battery provide that in a circular economy and we're able to provide a sustainable outlet as well for these end-of-life batteries and for manufacturing scrap as well so yeah certainly a need and a challenge for the recycling industry to uh, to get this right well more power to your elbow tom real pleasure to to meet you real pleasure to talk this through and uh, i think people will find that a really interesting conversation yeah thanks Ken. really enjoyed the conversations thank you The Battery Technology Podcast is a copyrighted GSE Media Limited production. For more details on how to reach us, you'll find our contact details in the show notes or at our website, www.batterytechnologypodcast.com. Battery Technology Podcast.